Let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And we look at the fruit of gentleness, the fruit of gentleness that the Apostle Paul has been speaking of in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of gentleness. And we're going to be reading that, little, that passage again from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. And yeah, the thing this is, there's another one that's coming, the self-control, uh, but this is one of the last in this, in this series on the fruit of the Spirit. And let us read from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the Word of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, it's good to come together around your Word. And we ask that you would fill our souls with the joy of this text, with the joy of gentleness. Oh, Holy Spirit, move in us that your word would have it its effect, and we know it never comes back void. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I think it's important that we define what gentleness is. Now, the proverb, Proverb 15, 1, says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That is, as we say, generally true. That is a proverb. But is that what the Apostle Paul is speaking about? Is he speaking about a word that in Hebrew speaks of something called soft or timid or weak? Or is he speaking of something else when he says gentleness? What is gentleness? I think that's why it's important to go to lexicons, fancy word for a place where you can find a definition to understand a biblical word. And I know that some of you are probably wondering, what language is that in my study notes? Well, that's Koine Greek, the trade language of the ancient world in the first century. And what we see in one of the lexicons by Freiburg is that gentleness is a, is a quality of gentle friendliness. Then it goes gentleness, meekness, as strength that accommodates to another's weakness, as strength that accommodates to another's weakness. That does not sound soft. That sounds like it's difficult. It's hard. It actually takes more power and more strength to, as it says, as strength that accommodates to another's weakness. And of course, it speaks of consideration. Now, the other Lexicon, BDAG, it's a more modern one, says the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Hmm. 
do like that one. That really sounds not like the proverb, really, does it, when it speaks about a gentle word. But again, I'll say that again. The quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. And then it uses the basic gentleness, humility. You can see that humility comes underneath this word. Uh, Courtesy, considerateness, and meekness that the Lord Jesus Christ uses in the Beatitudes. And Timothy Keller, speaking of gentleness, also humility, speaks of this as self-forgetfulness, which you can see comes directly out of the definition of this word from the Greek. Not being, seeing yourself as more important than you actually are. And he says the opposite is to be superior or self-absorbed. Humility is not the same as inferiority. That is an interesting one too. Some of us might not feel up to grade. But to be humble does not mean to be inferior. And I think that's important for us to hear as we come to this definition of gentleness. And of course, if we are going to look at the heart of gentleness, we must look at Jesus. We must come to the person and the work and the teachings and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate example of gentleness. Jesus taught in Matthew 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek, or gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And also said in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said very clearly, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Think what he's saying. I have not come to be served. Who is he? I mean, he's the creator of all things with the Father and the Spirit. He's God Almighty. And he says, I have not come to be served, but to serve. You see, that, that, that's power, isn't it? That's restrained in order to serve others. That's what gentleness is. That's what gentleness is. Jesus models it perfectly. He is the definition of gentleness. And I don't think we would call Jesus weak, would we? Or soft. A man that could easily walk 30 plus miles in a day on little sandals and was a carpenter, and usually that man, he was more like a stonemason. It was not like we picture him, but as we see here in God's Word. And also there's Matthew 11. We know this text quite well. It says, well, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Jesus was with the Father, right, in the Spirit from all eternity. And did he not come and become flesh among us? Taking on mortal flesh, a true, fully human person, and yet 
at the same time being fully God. Paul is very clear that if you want to see humility or gentleness in the church, you must first look to Jesus. That's Philippians chapter 2, isn't it? He didn't consider equality something to be grasped, is what the Apostle Paul says. But here Jesus is saying, come to me. The one who created all things, the one who is all-powerful, has condescended to the most lowly of people. He has condescended and come into the midst of a sea of sinners with all kinds of maladies of the soul and of the body and of the family. And there he is in the middle of the mess. This almighty power, if he were to reveal his great glory, all would perish. But he takes on the veil of true humanity, mortal flesh, and he says, come to me. He becomes that. He, he comes down from heaven, down the staircase, in order to be the staircase to heaven. But to say, God making his appeal, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll give you shalom. Real shalom. Real peace. Real rest. And then he says, for my yoke is easy. Now, going back to that verse 29, that's the end, right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There, I want to stop there. And then he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. The, the, the term yoke is more important than we realize when we read this text. Now, we know it is an instrument for a beast of burden in order to plow a field. But when he is talking about it, he's talking nothing about agriculture or animal husbandry. He is talking about the law. In the first century, the law was known as the yoke. And the Pharisees had a law upon the law. That was the application of the law. And many people thought that the Pharisees' application of the law, the halakha, actually was divine. That it came from heaven. But as you well know, as has been stated before in many sermons that you have listened to, that this was a great burden upon the people, wasn't it? The law that God had given in order to direct the people's lives had become a great burden. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. Uh, not the halakha. Uh, not, not the law of the Pharisees, the application of the Pharisees that burden your down. Take my yoke. My halakha. The law of Christ upon you. You see the gentleness. And come next to me. Because the yoke, the animals, the beasts of burden are going to be next to each other, aren't they? They're going to be pulling together. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Don't you see the gentleness of Jesus in your life? He comes down to you. He yokes himself with you. He gives you a law that you cannot fulfill, but he helps you in that because he's your righteousness, isn't he? The atoning sacrifice, yoked, you're yoked to him. The life that we spoke about this morning. Gentleness expressed in this beautiful call upon us. Come to me, 
all you who are weary. You're going to find rest. And so as we walk this pilgrim road, the gentle Christ is pulling. When we can't rock, he's there, isn't he? When we can't make sense of the circumstances of our life or don't know what decision to make in the current moment, who, where is he? Where is the gentle Christ? Somewhere far away? All right with you. He's very clear, doesn't he, to his man, I'll never leave you. I'll not forsake you. This is God's, that's what God says in the old covenant, doesn't he? And he says the same in the new covenant. I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you. I will be yoked with you to the very end of the age. What a wondrous gentleness we have. That the almighty power of God is even tabernacling among us. Is that not a condescension to us? Is that not coming down from on high and revealing his Shekinah glory in this jar of clay? That's all I am. That's all you are, aren't you? You're a broken jar of clay. And he's filled you with himself. He's condescended and he's come down. And what a gentle Savior we have. And in the cross, who was he thinking about? Was he thinking about himself? No, he was saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He was making certain that his mother would be, pro would be provided for. It was always about other people. And gentleness is always about other people, isn't it? It's always about other people. Jesus was about other people. I have not come to be served, but to serve. I've come to give my life for my people. I've come to be the sacrifice for sin. It's always about other people. This, this wondrous fruit of the Spirit called gentleness. And oh, I feel my poverty, don't you? I can be so selfish. And this is the opposite, isn't it? This is the absolute opposite. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you're here redeeming a sinner, a miserable wretch. You made him a son. And no matter how long as I walk this earth, you're yoked, I'm yoked to you forevermore. Mm. But of course, the gentleness of Christ is exhibited in the gentleness of God's servants, isn't, it? isn't he? He's exhibited in two men particularly tonight I want to look at, the gentleness of Moses and the gentleness of Paul. The reason we go to Moses is because, well, as numbers, chapter 12, verse 3 says, now Moses was a very humble or gentle man, that's the word, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, now you might know some things, all, maybe all the problems of Moses. He did take, make a lot of excuses when God called him. He, he made so many excuses that God brought Aaron from the bullpen, brought him out to me, go meet him in the wilderness in order that he would continue on his path as be, to be the mediator between God and his people and to lead them out of the house of slavery. But what we see in Moses is a man that has a God-entranced vision. It's all about God. It's not about him. It's all about God's people. There you see Moses before Pharaoh at, ex at risk to his own life. Again and again, he comes. 
And then you see him with the staff lifted, right? With the Red Sea and that wind that would blow all night long and the pillar of fire and of cloud behind him. Moses standing there with this God in transition, focused completely not on himself, not on his agenda, but on God's agenda. And there's no more marvelous moment where you see the gentleness of Moses than in Deuteronomy chapter 9. And I want to read this section for you because it truly is a beautiful piece. Now, if you are in the Bible study in Deuteronomy, gentlemen, you know this verse. You know these verses. But I do believe this exhibits why Moses was the most humble, gentle man who, who had ever lived on the face of the earth to that moment. This is what it says. Then the Lord told me, go down from here at once because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. Did you notice, did you notice the language? God says, your people who you brought out of Egypt. He doesn't say my people. Oh, God is testing him. This is a test for Moses, isn't it? Right from the get-go, we see this is a test of the Almighty upon Moses. And then the God continued, they have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made a cast idol for themselves, the golden calf, made by his brother of all people. And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and they are, they are stiff-necked people indeed. Let me alone. Let me alone so that I may destroy them and blot them out their name from under heaven, and I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. Do you see the temptation? I will make you into a great nation. I'll make you the greatest man that's ever lived. That's what, the, that's what God is saying. This is a test of the Almighty. So I turned, Moses says, and I went down from the mountain while it was ablaze with fire, and the two tablets of, of the covenant were in my hands. When I looked and saw that what that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves an, an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands, breaking them to pieces before your eyes. Then once again I fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water because of all the sin you had committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and so provoking him to anger. I feared the anger of the wrath of God for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. But again, the Lord listened to me and the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at that time, I prayed for Aaron too. Also, I took the sinful things of yours, the, the calf you had made and burned it in the fire. Then I crushed it and ground it to powder as fine as dust and threw the dust into the stream that flowed down the mountain. Did Moses pass the test of God? Oh, yes. His first response is to know how painful it was that they had broken the covenant these are God's people. This is about God's glory. And the first thing he does is hit the floor and begin to pray for 40 days and 40 nights. That's right. There's not just one 40 days and 40 nights. There are two. And he intercedes for Israel and he intercedes for his worthless brother 
who devised to make the golden calf himself and then lies about it. It just came out of the fire. But Moses isn't thinking about himself, is he? He's thinking about the glory of God and he's thinking about God's people. He's thinking about everybody else and not himself. It's one of the most glorious pictures of intercession in all of Scripture, pointing us, of course, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And of course, there's the gentleness of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, you and I know, was a zealous man, wasn't he? But gentle he was not. The Apostle Paul, speaking about the fruit of the Spirit, knew in his own experience that the divine power of God needs to instill this in a man, especially in a man like him, a persecutor of the church. He lusted and delighted in the death of the saints. And what do we see in the ministry of the Apostle Paul? A man who is willing to give himself for strangers, and he's willing to sacrifice him for a Christ he hated. Everywhere he goes, he was threatened, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned. And what does he continue to do? He continues to seek Christ, and he continues to seek God's people. He even says that if the Jews would be saved, I want me to be damned. I want me to be condemned. You see that in Romans chapter 9, don't you? Oh, that's a man that's humble. That's a, that's a man who truly is gentle, isn't he? Now, we might not think that he's that gentle because he says that if he himself or an angel from heaven brings another gospel than the gospel I brought you in the book of Galatians, may they be eternally condemned. But why is this man who has learned gentleness by the power of the Spirit speaking in such a way? Because he cares for the souls of the people in Galatia. He cares for their eternal well-being. He doesn't want anyone to undermine the truth of the Almighty in their life. So the idea of gentleness being weakness or passive is ridiculous. It's very active, isn't it? Just like all the fruit of the Spirit. Just like the work of the Spirit in us as we read his word. I'm so thankful for the Apostle Paul and his gentleness. I love what he says to the church in, 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 in Corinthians chapter 4, verse 22. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with the whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? See, the Apostle Paul had learned the way of Christ is to give yourself for others like Christ gave himself for him who loved me and gave his life for me. And that's what he wants to, that's how he really acts with the church. He does this in Thessalonica. It's just a beautiful picture of Paul's ministry amongst new baby Christians. He says, we were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As an apostle of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. I love that illustration. As I'm going to go see my mother, I'm reminded of sacrifice. Mothers are this unique creature in the world who pour out themselves for their children. Now we know that's not always a perfect picture, but you do see it. You, you condescend to your little ones, don't you? You get down on their level. You have this power, but you make certain that you come down to them and care for these little ones, even at the expense of your 
I fear life, right? I fear life. You know, motherhood is a beautiful picture of real gentleness because that takes even more power to be gentle, doesn't it? Far more power to be gentle because in your power you can be harsh. But Christ doesn't treat us that way, does he? He is gentle. He condescends to us. He comes down to us. He ministers to us as so does the Holy Spirit in us. We see this in Jesus. We see this in Moses. We see this in Paul. And we ought to see it in us. True? True. We have the same Spirit. The Apostle Paul is very clear that this is a fruit of the Spirit. You might not think you have this in much measure. I know I struggle with this too. This gentleness. But it is very clear that you and I are to be gentle towards all the saints. As Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's right. Even if we all irritate each other, once in a while drive each other nuts, we're, we're called to be patient with each other. We're called to be gentle with each other and to be in the spirit of love. It's a beautiful picture. That's what the church ought to be. Not a place of record keeping. Oh, how many wrongs have you done today? Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. If you're gentle, you're not really concerned about how people have treated you. You're far more concerned about how you can serve them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? All right. Get the different checkbook of checks and go, how can I serve others? How can I serve my husband? How can I serve my wife? How can I serve my kids? How can I serve my coworkers? How can I serve other brothers and sisters in Christ right here and every Sunday when I come to the door? Check, 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 check. Isn't that a wonderful way to check? is how can I be a servant like Christ? Because you're not thinking about the failures of others. You're not thinking of how somebody talked to you. Jesus was abused constantly, and what did he often do? He often, well, he was gentle. Even with his disciples, who were often foolish, weren't they? And there's Jesus being gentle, as we ought to be with one another. And also, especially, we need to have gentleness in the restoration of the fallen. As Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, that simply means you who are keeping in step with the Spirit. You who are depending on the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit that is spoken of in chapter 5. You who are that, go to your brother, it says, but go to, restore him gently. Restore him gently. With gentleness, obviously, the assumption is patience and love, but isn't it easier to be harsh? For some of us, I grew up in a harsh family. Everything is doink. Just boom, boom, boom. Say it harshly. And then you blame yourself because we're Dutch immigrants. What a worthless excuse. That's not the way of Christ here, even for people who have fallen away from the faith. We still need to be gentle. We still need to have the compassion of Christ, seeking to serve them for their good, aren't we? Because what, what are we doing? We're seeking them for their good, their eternal good, and for their present good. Of course, there's also gentleness and witness. I love what Peter says 
in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. When we're witnessing to other people and sharing the gospel with the hope that we have, we're doing it for their good, aren't we? We want them to see Christ. We don't want them to see our grumpiness. We don't want them to see, oh, maybe I, I don't feel like I have the ability to share the gospel. I don't know what to say. Well, then first be gentle. Think about them. Think, how can I speak to them? How can I love them right now? Don't think about what you can't do. That's not gentleness. That's victimhood. There's no victimhood in the church. You might not think you're equipped to share the gospel, but you are, aren't you? You are. And someone needs to hear it. They need to hear, hear it through a kind friend, a gentle friend. And of course, gentleness towards worldly opposition. Paul, instructing Timothy as he's training up the church of Ephesus, says this, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. So those are the pagan world who might be in opposition to you in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Isn't that wonderful? So if someone's a pagan and is opposing you and using all kinds of nasty arguments and so forth, our response shouldn't be nastiness in return. But gentleness, how can I serve this person? How can I speak into this person? How can I be a gentle witness, apologia or to give a reason for the hope that I have to him or to her. Because how many have been won to Christ actually in God's providence by a gentle response? Because we can have confidence because who is in you? The Holy Spirit, one who produces this fruit. And Jesus is very clear, if you have the Spirit, you have the Spirit of Christ, he has overcome the world. So why should we be afraid? of the world. I think it's because we still feel our own frailty, don't we? Our own weakness. And so the prayer should be, oh Spirit, oh Spirit, give me a gentle heart. Give me a gentle response to all in my life, whether they love me or hate me. For your glory and they're good. Let's pray. Amen. Oh, Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for you, oh, Holy Spirit, that indwells dwells us. Oh, help us exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, especially the fruit that we're studied tonight, gentleness, so that you would be pleased in us, but that we would experience the joy of being like our elder brother, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So work, oh, Spirit. Work in us who need a greater measure of gentleness in our life. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.